Welcome to Simplify. I'm Benjamin Stoller. And I'm Caitlin Schiller. Simplify is for anybody who's taken a close look at their habits, their happiness, their relationships, or their health, and thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. In today's episode, Caitlin talks to Julian Treasure, a speaking and sound communication expert. His TED Talks about listening and sound design have been viewed over 40 million times. That's a lot of times. Yeah, it's a lot of times. And it's such a cool topic. I mean, I, I work in audio, so I'm obviously a big fan of people who talk about how to listen and what sound or audio can do to us. Absolutely. And what came up in our talks was how broad the influence of sound is. Julian likes to say that we're taught as children how to read and write, but not how to speak or to listen. And he went through everything from why Venice as a city sounds so good to why saying, I know, after everything someone else says is so grating. I know. Just kidding. Sorry. Okay. Uh, we did not talk about why it's annoying to be interrupted by your co-host, but Womp. the point is that by the end of this interview, you'll have a new idea of why you should reconsider how you speak and how you listen. Excellent. I'm excited. I, I really like this interview. And um, don't forget that we'll also make a book list after the conversation to dig deeper into all sorts of things about speaking and sound. And spoiler alert, there's a Sam Harris title in there, so... Ooh. Yeah. Anybody who's triggered by Sam Harris, watch out. Um, okay, then. So let's roll the tape. Here's me, Caitlin Schiller, and Julian Treasure. Catch you guys in the bookend. Would you please introduce yourself? My name is Julian Treasure. I'm a sound evangelist. That's the way I describe myself these days. And I'm also author of the books Sound of Business and the new book How to Be Heard. Uh, and chairman of the Sound Agency, which is an international audio branding consultancy. Mm-hmm. How did you get into this field of work, Julian? Well, I've been listening to the world pretty carefully all my life. I'm a musician, and I think musicians do listen in a slightly different way to non-musicians. If you're not listening kind of in parallel, you're not really a good musician because you're not responding to everybody. And so that's kind of the way I've always listened to the world. And all through my career in marketing, I, I had a publishing company, which I launched in 88 and sold in 2001 to a, a big American group. Um, I was conscious all the time that the world doesn't sound too good. And uh, <laughs> so when I sold that business, I wanted to bring the two halves of me together, the, the musician, which was playing and enjoying listening to music and listening to the world and, and the marketing side. So that's how the sound agency was born in 2003. And then as I went on and started doing the TED Talks and reflecting um, on ways in which I could make a difference in the world, it, it really hit me that it's not just organizations who are making uh, noise that is pretty unpleasant. It's all of us, you know. And so sound impacts on us personally. And there's a, a huge case for improving the way that we make and consume sound in our personal lives, a lot of which comes down to speaking and listening. And that's really where this book came from. You said that the world doesn't sound too good. Could you talk about how you have made a piece of the world sound a little bit better? Yeah, the, the, the industry that's really taken up the sound agency's um, challenge more than any other, I guess, is retail. That's pretty obvious because they can see that, you know, if you think about it in terms of smell, it would be crazy, wouldn't it, to, to launch a shop and have a terrible smell in it. That's obviously stupid and yet so many shops and shopping malls and airports where we have shopping areas they they look great but they sound terrible they're cacophonous noisy threatening um stressing places we get fatigued and the the result is we leave 
sooner than we otherwise would, and we spend less money, so they lose out. And that's what we've been able to prove. So we've worked with shops that most people would have heard of, places like Harrods. We've worked all over the world with you know major malls, often improving acoustics a little bit, taking noise out, improving the sound system, which often is really shocking, and very often removing music. And uh, that's a special hmm. type of sound. You know, music is uh, something which is made to be listened to generally. So when it's played all over the place in the background, there's a conflict of interest. So we often remove music and, and replace it with something much more ambient, uh, a soundscape, we call it. It's uh, a new technology which uh, creates these soundscapes live. They're not recorded. They're created by a computer. And uh-huh. uh, that's a very interesting sound that's somewhere in between silence and music. I'm not, so music, I'm not saying music is always wrong. Uh, music can be wonderful in certain situations. It's just not a veneer. It's not something we should, you know, veneer on top of every experience we have. Yeah, right. So, for example, what are you optimizing for when you're optimizing sound in, say, a retail space? Well, it depends what people are trying to do. Um, very often, retailers over-egg the pudding. Uh, there's research now to show that if if they can be a bit more minimalist, you know, particularly when it comes to the festive season, which, um, you know, as we speak, is heading for us like a, a huge steam train at high speed, um, then they tend to over-egg that big time. So we get, you know, Christmas, Christmas, Christmas everywhere we go. And the cumulative effect of that is we get tired and we want to go home. Whereas um, if they can just be a little bit more restrained and not overstimulate us, then we feel better, we are more comfortable, we're less stressed and fatigued. And it was the same with sound, really. So a lot of what we do is removing elements from soundscapes, which are simply cacophonous, that nobody designed them. Uh, And it depends completely what people are trying to do. You know, Uh, People often ask me, for example, about um, brands like Abercrombie and Fitch or um, Hollister, which have got pretty loud environments inside Mm. of them, and they also design fragrance and so forth. And I I say, look, I totally understand what they're doing. They're using their loud music and big sound systems as a filter. Uh, They don't want people like me in there. I'm too old. And I particularly enjoy that environment. So we have a deal. You know, they don't want me in there. I don't want me in there. I don't go in. Now, I I totally get that the people who they do want in there are attracted by that. So, you know, intelligent design of sound, it doesn't have to be quiet. It could be loud. Uh, It's all about what are you trying to do in a space? It would be weird, wouldn't it, if you went to a football stadium and everybody just had to wave instead of cheering. It would be, Mm. you know, a, a bizarre, ghostly atmosphere. So sometimes noise is what we need. But a lot of the time, the noise that's around us is simply inappropriate. It's, it's the, like the exhaust gas of what's going on in the space. And, uh, you know, if you look around you, pretty much everything you see was designed by somebody. There might be the odd plant, but, you know, pretty much everything else designed. I very much doubt if the sound in that room was designed by anybody. You know, the acoustics are just the byproduct of the way that the, the room looks. And that's often the case, even in the most designed spaces, you know, uh, uh, award-winning spaces designed by award-winning architects, they're all done for the eyes, not for the ears. And very often they are actually not fit for purpose. So we've worked with uh, hospitals 
um, I'd love to work in education sector. I did talk about mm. it in one of my TED talks, you know, uh, a huge number of kids leave school simply not having heard their education because the acoustics are so bad in those classrooms. Uh, in offices, you know, people get stressed uh, and ill even uh, and can't work because of the noise levels. You know, we're open planning the whole world and that's great for collaboration, but it's absolutely rubbish for concentration where you're trying to listen to the voice in your head and somebody's sitting next to you talking and you have no earlids and you can't shut it out and your head is full of their voice instead of yours. So there are a lot of environments that we've designed which actually don't work very well because of the sound in them. And that's that's what we try to do at the sound agency is ask what, what are people trying to do here? Mm-hmm. What are the values of the space? What kind of brand is it? What's, what, what would reflect it effectively? Uh, who are the people? What do they like? What don't they like? And uh, what's, the, what's the environment? I mean, you, for example, there's no point putting music in on top of noise. That's like putting perfume on a really bad smell. What do you mm. get? You just get a worse smell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same <laughs> with, with music. It's not an antidote to noise. You can't take a noisy cafe or co- a coffee shop which sadly is so often the case, and then put music on top of that and think that's a pleasant environment. It's actually not. The music just becomes more noise if it's put on top of noise. So there are there are common mistakes we come across everywhere, and we try to reverse those and show people that you know it's not rocket science. Make a great sound. Make a, a space that sounds lovely, and people are happier, and they want to stay there for longer. Are there any natural sounds and natural spaces that you've come across that have been surprisingly pleasant? Yes, I think, you know, I have been surprised in certain places. The center of Geneva, for example, which is a very busy modern city, uh, is almost completely silent around the cathedral. And huh. that really is surprising. And it's it's a lovely experience. Um, my favorite city in the world is Venice. And uh, it wasn't until I'd been there uh, many times that I realized why it was my favorite city. There's no tire noise. There's no traffic noise. There's the noise of diesel engines on the canals, which is actually pretty pleasant. But it's an amazing relief from the noise that we have in the background so often in cities. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I used to live in Madrid before I moved here to Berlin. And one of the things that I I treasure about living in Berlin is how quiet it is. The ambient stress here is so much less than what I experienced in Madrid because just because of sound pollution. Mm. Mm. Um, I wanted to switch, if we could, to to speaking. And you you deal in your new book, How to Be Heard, a lot with with speaking. What are some traps that people fall into when they think they are going to be speaking powerfully? What are they doing that they shouldn't be doing? Uh, Well, there are a lot of problems that arise through the fact that we're not ever taught how to speak or how to listen. If you think about it, we're taught how to read and write in schools, and it's a scandal if a child leaves school unable to read or write. Yeah. But uh, children are leaving school every year, having never been taught how to use this amazing instrument that we all use, the human voice, uh, or how to listen consciously to what's going Mm. on, which I think is tragic. So mistakes, well, a lot of them come from fear. Uh, you know, we, there's a lot of fear in personal relationships, the fear of not being liked or the fear of appearing, appearing foolish or whatever it may be. And uh, human needs, like, for example, looking good, that tends to drive a lot of speaking, which is not particularly productive. So uh, the desire to look good can lead to things like competitive speaking. You know, I might say, oh, I'm going to Greece this year on holiday. And they say, yeah, I've been to Greece six times. And I go, hmm. 
I'm a bit deflated, you know, it's a bit of a joy kill. Having to beat what everybody says all the time, having to trump every every uh, every card by competitively speaking, uh, or the, you know, professionally not impressed people. I know, I know, I know. You know, if you know, if you know everything, what do you learn? You don't learn very much at all. Mm. Uh, so words I know are to be used, I think, with great care a lot of the time. Um, if there's anything we like more than looking good, it's being right. And I think that's the, that's a huge modern disease that afflicts so many people uh, at the moment. And of course, the easiest way to be right is to make somebody else wrong. So if I, if I make you wrong, it elevates my position and makes me justified and right and self-righteous as well. So that kind of dynamic, I think, is very destructive in conversation being right, uh, looking good. Uh, and these things tend to lead, lead to what I've described in the, uh, the TED Talk, which has done so amazingly well, the seven deadly sins of speaking. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear about a couple of them. Um, maybe take me through maybe take me through the two or three that you think could most most effectively transform someone who's not doing a great job communicating into someone who's doing much better at it. I'll mention three, gossip, judging, and dogmatism, uh, three of the seven. So gossip is is enormously seductive, and it is very pervasive as well. By gossip, I mean speaking ill of somebody who's not present. Uh, and it is so uh, easy to get sucked into doing that, you know. And in fact, if you sit on a train or a bus and listen to the conversation around you, a huge amount of it is that uh, it's also a lot of the magazines that we read and the media that we consume. So uh, it's pretty difficult to avoid. And we all know that gossip very often is salacious, misleading, even outright lying. Uh, so it's not a very powerful way to be. It's, uh, it's something to avoid as a habit. Judging, I think uh, that's a really big one. Uh, condemning as a habit becomes very destructive and very hard to be around. You know, the kind of parent whose child comes home and says, I got 95 in the test, and they say, what happened to the other five? You know, that kind of uh, always seeking fault, being obsessed with what you have not got instead of grateful for what you have got. And the final one I'll mention, because it's topical at the moment, I guess, is dogmatism, mm -hmm. uh, which is just... It surrounds, I mean, in politics in particular, in the last two years, we've seen the destructive results of dogmatism, polarization, caricaturing other people. It's a long, slippery slope of um, not listening to people, uh, being able then to caricature them or make them seem ridiculous, uh, and then big of bigotry, xenophobia, um, you know, out-and-out -out hatred. Um, you know, that that's a slippery slope to some some of the, the worst excesses of human evil behavior in history. And the antidote to dogmatism, I think, always is listening. It's also realizing there's a difference between opinions and facts. And there's an awful lot of people who confuse those two things. They conflate them and think that their opinions are, in fact, facts. I think, in many ways, I think the world would be a much nicer place if opinions had to be offered by, um, by invitation only. You know? <laughs> uh -huh. So that's three of three of the seven, and uh, you know you can see how these things play out in our relationships, and they create conflict, and they create misunderstanding, and um, the the world doesn't work so well when we're not listening to each other 
and when we're not speaking powerfully and consciously. Right. I want to get to the listening part of this soon, but there are a couple things that I picked up on while you were speaking that I wanted to ask you more about. What struck me just now, and also when I, I cracked this book, it seems like what you're talking about in a lot of ways is ways of being. It's about character creation. What kind of person am I going to be? And I, I wonder, how did you make the decision to take on that kind of heavier content in this book rather than just give people, you know, a list of 10 things to do to speak persuasively? Well, over the years, I've I've become aware, really, that a lot of the things I'm talking about in terms of conscious listening um, are doorways into being mindful or being conscious or being aware of one's own existence and one's effect on other people. So, I mean, I wouldn't say this is a, a philosophical book or a spiritual book at all. It's full of very practical exercises all the way through. But I think those exercises at the same time are doorways into uh, a more conscious way of living. And I think that's a that's a very powerful direction to go in. You know, I talk about silence in the book, and um, silence is worth considering really strongly. I'm, you know, I quote Evelyn Evelyn Glennie, the great percussionist Dame Evelyn Glennie, who says, "Silence is a sound," and I think it is. Uh, it's also the context for all sound, and it's something we don't encounter that often. I think in my very first TED talk, I recommended listening to a few moments, a few minutes of birdsong every day. And then later on, it was listening to silence because we don't encounter it that often. And it's a baseline, which if we lose sight of, you know, we can get anesthetized to, it's like the frog in a, a, a pan of water syndrome. You know, that story where if you, if you throw a frog, frog into a pan of boiling water, it jumps out. But if you turn the heat up gradually, it cooks because it doesn't notice. And that's what we're like a lot with noise. You know, if we lose the baseline and we don't recalibrate our ears from time to time, then the noise just gets up and up. And the police often report when they go to the scene of some uh, violence or crime, the noise is intense. You know, there are radios, huh. TVs on and people shouting. And noise drives us crazy in many ways. So I think it's very important to reestablish some sort of baseline to get back to being conscious about the sound that we're consuming uh, and, and not to go unconscious. And sadly, you know, we've we've gone pretty unconscious about listening to the world in the last couple of hundred years, really, since the Industrial Revolution. Um, we, we've been getting noisier and noisier, more and more electromechanical noise around us all the time. And it's so easy to go really uh, oblivious and just get on with, you know, stand on a street corner bellowing at each other next to somebody who's drilling and just think that's normal. Uh, mm. Well, we can move. You know? <laughs> yeah, we can. Hey, it's Ben. We're taking a quick break from Caitlin's talk with Julian Treasure here because we just wanted to remind you of two things. One, this is season two of Simplify. That means there's a whole entire season one you could be listening to after this episode. So go and do that if you haven't already. It's full of great guests like Dan Savage, Laura Vanderkam, and Gretchen Rubin. And that brings me to thing two, which also has to do with Gretchen Rubin. When Caitlin asked her in season one about one thing that's actually a lot simpler than you might initially think, she told us that being happy is, if you focus on the right thing. So here's Gretchen Rubin telling us what that is. You know, the research shows this, ancient philosophers say this, and it's really, really true, that in the end, when you talk to people who are happier, it's because they have strong, enduring relationships with other people. And this is helpful to think about because in all of, in all of our lives, we've got so many claims on our time, our energy, our money, or, you know, if you say to yourself, really 
relationships are the thing that matter most. It's like, well, should you bother to go to your college reunion? Probably you should, because that's going to help keep those relationships. Oh, you're thinking about like, oh, it'd be fun to have a Super Bowl party. Would that be a good idea? Probably it would, because having a party is something that, you know, or, oh, there's this cool person that I think would might be fun to have coffee with. Should I make the effort to send the email? Yeah, probably you should, because in the end, those relationships are the things that are going to really going to matter. And we'd love to hear from more of you out there. Let us know what you've learned was easier than you initially thought it was. I'm curious about your personal philosophies, about fears you've overcome, all the things we've talked about in season two, or something you just learned was easier than you thought it was. Send us your voice. Just record a voice memo and email it to us at podcast at Blinkist.com. All right, let's get back to Caitlin Schiller and Julian Treasure. You say in your book that that all listening is unique, as unique as a fingerprint. Um can you talk about that a little bit? What, is, what does that mean? How might my listening be different from yours? Well, you've come a different road to this conversation to me, and our listening is shaped by the road we travel in life. Uh, so first of all, we're born into a culture that speaks a language, and those things change our listening. You know, there are some languages on this planet that have no words for tomorrow or yesterday, and uh, you know, that changes your listening a little bit. Um, so language does and then values attitudes beliefs you know the things you accrete along the way from your parents and then teachers and role models and friends and so forth so all this creates what i call a set of filters and then ultimately you know in any given situation you have expectations of a conversation you have intentions you might have emotions going on these things all change the way that we are listening so most people are not conscious of the filters they think Listening is very similar to hearing, but it's not. You hear Mm. everything. You hear everything. You listen only to certain things. So listening is a process of selecting what you pay attention to. And then my definition of listening is making meaning from sound. So you select some of what you hear and you make it mean something. And that's a mental process. It's not related to the process of hearing. And what you make it mean is going to be very possibly different from what I make it mean. Because you've got different contexts and different parameters, different filters that you've developed along the way. So it is the commonest mistake, I think, in speaking and listening to assume that everybody listens like I do. They don't. And if you get that you're speaking always into a listening that's different, then you can speak so much more powerfully and effectively. Even if you're talking to an audience of a thousand people, you can ask yourself, what's the listening? What's the listening of this group of people? And, uh, you know, I noticed this years ago when I was doing presentations in business day after day and I could walk into a room and I knew immediately those two are going to be a problem. These guys over here, they're on my side. That's fine. You know, it's it's I don't know what it is. It's a nonverbal communication of some type. It, it may be micro expressions. It could be pheromones. Who knows what it is? But all I do know is that if you ask yourself that question, what's the listening? and you get into the habit of doing that, your speaking will be so much more powerful because you're being conscious of the listening that you're speaking into, and therefore you're speaking appropriately to that person or group of people. Are there questions? You said it was a lot about nonverbal communication, some sort of sense that you get for the group to whom you're addressing yourself. Are there any questions that you could, say, ask yourself to assess what kind of listening you're walking into? And and without having communicated with these people yet, does that leave a lot of room to make dangerous assumptions about what you're going to get? 
Well, I don't think it's about making assumptions. Uh, I, I think it's about being open, um, you know, uh, not thinking, actually, it's it's probably the opposite of making assumptions, actually, not not thinking that you know what's going on, but asking yourself continually, what's the listening? And that is the only simple question that you need to ask yourself. It's not so much, uh, you know, going through a checklist of how people look or how old they are or anything like that, just simply what's the listening? You will intuitively come up with the right answer and you would intuitively speak more accurately just by asking that question. You can change. You might you might find that your first perceptions are um, you know amended as you go through listening to people talk and so forth. There's a po- but there's a process of building rapport which we all do pretty naturally. You know, mirroring postures and mirroring uh, attitudes and pace of speech and things like that. You know, you don't have to train in these things in order to uh, to start to. Uh, get on with people. I mean, we as human beings, most human beings have an an innate ability to do that. Uh, What I'm looking to do is to bring to the level of consciousness uh, these processes, which for many people are are very unconscious, and and some people are better at them than others. Uh, They are practices. You know, listening is a skill, and Mm -hmm. it's a skill that can be practiced, and it's a skill that can be improved. What are a couple of things that that people can be doing aside from just asking themselves what the listening is in the room? What can we do to become better listeners ourselves? What would you recommend to someone? Well, in conversation, there's an acronym that I mentioned in my third TED Talk, which I go into in much more detail in the book. Um, Mm -hmm. The acronym for speaking is RASA, which was the Sanskrit word for juice, And Mm -hmm. in this context, it's an acronym that stands for Receive, Appreciate, Summarize, Ask. And many people have said to me over the years that this has been very, very useful to them in conversation. Uh, It it works for listening. Uh, It also works, you know, if you you think about it in terms of speaking or the whole conversation. So receive is uh, paying attention to the person who's speaking. That sounds obvious, but it's amazing how much time we spend partially listening. I honestly think there are billions of people on this planet, billions, who have never had the experience of being listened to fully and properly. You know, I I totally agree with Scott Peck, who says it is impossible to listen to somebody and do anything else at the same time. Hmm. Uh, Listening is 100% of your your attention uh, being focused on the other person. That means looking at them, not looking at your phone or screen or device or anything else that you're doing. And it means also a little bit of body language. It might be leaning forward. It might be paying attention, pointing at them, you know, not pointing away. We, You know, the frustration of speaking to somebody who's turned away from you, you know, that, that, that body language is very important. So receive. The, the A is appreciate, which is little noises that oil conversation. Like, you know, oh, mm, oh, really? Those mm-hmm. little noises, they're very important too. And uh, then the S is summarize, and that's the word so. Uh, just mm. going back to the person. So what you're saying is this. And very important if you're in a meeting, by the way. If you're if you're in a meeting without a so person, it can be a very, very long meeting. Nobody's saying, so we've <laughs> all agreed this, now we can put it aside and move on to that. And if that yeah. doesn't happen, it can be a circular meeting. Uh, and then the final A is ask, is questions. Questions at the beginning, questions at the end, questions all the way through. Just show you're paying attention and you're, you're getting uh, what's being sent to you. So Rasa is very powerful. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, you said earlier that 
uh, it's really unfortunate that people were educated to, to read and write, but were not educated to speak and listen. And we can leave our, our education without ever having been trained to use the instrument that is the human voice. And in one of your TED Talks, you have this this really great section where you talk about powerful vocal techniques, prosody, timbre. Could you talk about those elements just a little bit? Yes, of course. And it is what you say, which we've done a lot of talking about, but it's also the way that you say it. And some people are less practiced at using this instrument than others and less conscious. So, for example, you get people who speak in a bit of a monotone like this, and it's not terribly interesting to listen to somebody who speaks like this the whole time <laughs> without any prosody. Prosody is, is a wonderful thing. It's the way we express it. It's root one for emotion. You know, It's the way we express so much of what we want to get across emotionally or in terms of meaning and emphasis. It provides a light and shade in what you're saying. And without prosody, you know, would you rather watch a play being performed or read it? And this is one of the biggest differences between written language and spoken language. Uh, speaking has been around a far, far longer time than writing. Speaking around 200,000 years, perhaps, certainly 100,000 complex language. Writing just 4,000 years. So this is our route one, really, for communication. And we are, we are over the last 30 or 40 years anyway, we have been pushing it aside. If you think about all of the modern protocols for communication that we developed, email, text, instant messaging, these are all screen-based. And so we're using our eyes and our fingers to communicate the whole time. I do think that's about to change. Uh, you mm. know, there's billions being invested now in uh, speech recognition, voice synthesis, and uh, there are some amazing alliances of that with artificial intelligence that are going to be coming along in the next couple of years and will really change the way we interface with technology. We'll be speaking to it and listening to it instead of reading it and writing it. Uh, so I mean, that, that is all going to change. Uh, we are going to need to filter, but it always goes at one pace. You know, you can't be listening to three people at the same time in the same way that you could perhaps have three screens on with different feeds. You can't do mm. that with, with the human voice. You have to pay attention. We can only understand roughly 1.6 people talking at the same time. So two doesn't work. It becomes babble. Mm. Mm -hmm. If you could change something about the way that the average person listens to to other people in their lives, what would it be? It would be to become conscious of listening as an activity. Uh, most of us assume that listening just happens. We, we hardly ever think about it, but listening is an activity. It's a thing that you are doing to me right now. You're actually doing something, not just sitting there and hearing. It's not a passive thing. Uh, it is an active thing. You're making meaning. You're selecting what to listen to. You've got thoughts going on at the same time. But there's a synthesis going on between what I'm saying and the things that you're thinking. And this process is going on all the time to us. So I think the single biggest thing I'd love to see happen in the world would be people becoming conscious that then that they're doing something when they're listening and that they're responsible for the outcome of that and that they can practice it and become better listeners. It would transform the world, I think, because listening, conscious listening is the doorway to understanding. And if we have understanding, the world is a, a very different place from the world of uh, caricaturing and bigotry and, and dogmatism and so forth. That is a really nice thought to end on. But I did want to ask you, what have you been reading lately that you like? 
What are some books that people who are interested in sound and listening and how it affects our environment, what would you what would you recommend they read in addition to yours, of course? There's so many books about sound. There's a wonderful book by Murray Schaefer, mm-hmm. who is something of uh, a, a godfather to um, modern oral ecology, it's called, where people care about soundscapes and preserving good sounds. Hmm. Uh, Murray Schaefer, was a, he's, he's a Canadian, uh, he's very old now, and the book is called The Soundscape, Tuning the World. And it's a marvellous book. He invented the word soundscape, actually. Um, and it is, if you want to become conscious about your listening, it's a great place to start. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's really, that would be a textbook that I would recommend to absolutely anybody. Mm. Cool. And if there's one you could recommend to people for, say, improving their listening or their, their conversational abilities, their social listening, do you have a recommendation there too? Well, obviously, that's what my book is all about. So I certainly, <laughs> would, I certainly would recommend How to Be Heard because Absolutely. that's totally, totally what it's about. Uh, I, I think there's a lovely book also by um, Sherry Turkle, professor uh, at MIT, called Reclaiming Conversation, which is uh, a brilliant book about exactly this again and about the effect of technology uh, on all of us. She wrote a book called Alone Together before that and, and delivered a TED talk on that too, uh, which is where I met her. And I think she's absolutely right that technology in many ways has driven us apart, you know, rather than bringing us together in a big global village, it's it's created this kind of shallow, um, a lot of shallow friends instead of a few deep friends, perhaps. So the word friend doesn't necessarily mean what it used to <laughs> once upon a time. Uh, right. So yeah, I think Sherry's got a, a very strong uh, case and and she's very much in tune. Um, also, the book Quiet by Susan Cain, whom also I know from TED, um, which is another great book about the importance of quiet people and not getting seduced by this sort of noisy, thrashing world that we're in and having to be bigger and better than other people. Uh, so it's about the power of introverts. So those two, I think, are very good books. Mm. Awesome. Thank you for the recommendations. My pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much. A pleasure. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. Welcome to the bookend, where we end with books. Woohoo! So, okay, we just heard your conversation with Julian Treasure. I loved this conversation. Also, it's our second really good listener on the podcast. It's cool to see experts in listening like Treasure and Michael Bungay-Stainier from episode three actually show why they're experts at listening. He seemed It seemed like a really good, understanding, patient conversation. Um, so why'd you want to have him on Simplify? Well, um, I first heard about Julian from our production assistant, Nat, actually. As part of her interview, we asked her to write a test outreach email to someone that she would love to invite on to Simplify. And she chose Julian Treasure. Awesome. So yeah, I watched his TED Talks and I knew that A, we had to invite him on and B, we had to hire Nat. That's amazing. And she's on board. (laughs) Yeah, she is. Um, So, but beyond it being a great suggestion from Nat, I love the idea of inviting Julian on to Simplify because a lot of times I think that people overemphasize speaking as being the most impactful part of the communication equation. Julian, on the other hand, elevates listening to the same level and treats it with the same nuance as most thinkers do public speaking. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. Maybe that's why it feels fresh, what he's saying the whole time. Um, so what do you think is the one thing we should all remember from this conversation? What can we what can we learn from it? Well, I think it's the same thing as that to which you alluded in the intro. And it's that we learn to read and write. We learn production. But we don't really ever learn to listen and to listen carefully. And 
if you do that, then you'll notice a lot of your own weird personal tics and start to, to uncover ways that you can be a better listener. And the other thing that I loved about Julian's book is that it's not being a better listener splashes into so many different elements of your life. And it it really informs what kind of person you are and what kind of person you can be. So if you start watching that, your habits around listening a little bit more, there's a good chance it's going to impact how you are as a person, how you fill a room, how you interact with others. Yeah. I like how, how at one point Treasure says something like, Watch out for these habits because these are the people that are really annoying to be around. And it's <laughs> yeah. interesting, like just people who listen badly. It's true. If you think about it, like no one wants to be around those people. So I started freaking out and paying very careful attention to this. And um, I hope I hope, uh, I hope, hope everyone does too. It's a cool, really great interview. All right. Let's get to the books. Yeah, let's do it. Um, actually, why don't you start off with some recommendations this time? Okay, fine. I did my homework. Um, let's start off with a classic. Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. Of course. This book is actually more than a book. Nonviolent Communication, or NVC, it's also a process, and there are entire training schools devoted to it. So I actually, I know the book, but I'm not that familiar. I think you've actually practiced it at some point, right? What What is it, essentially? Well, I've, I've definitely read the book a number of times and yeah. done a little bit of research. So NVC says that there's a better way to communicate, and to do that, you have to appreciate the basic human needs that we all share. Once you realize that, for example, all human beings have the capacity for compassion, you have a better chance of being able to connect with someone and communicate more effectively. Cool. Yeah. What else did you pick, Ben? Okay, next up. Um, let's go with, we should have like a cool Wheel of Fortune sound or something. Wheel of <laughs> books. Okay, Ben, what is it? How Music Works by David Byrne, as in David Byrne, lead singer of The Talking Heads, David Byrne. Oh, Awesome. Yeah, so this book is is pretty well described by the title, How Music Works. It touches on music theory, um, how music can make you feel feelings. But there's also a bonus for Talking Heads fans out there, and that it also goes through some of the history of the band itself. Very cool. Um, also, why Byrne wore that big suit and stopped making sense? Something about Japanese theater? Yeah, kibuki theater and um, a great Halloween costume for anybody listening to this in October of another year whatever <laughs> and anyway if people are into that theme bonus recommendation this is your brain on music by daniel levitin also um a cool way to look at how music works red so is that your last recommendation or do you have another one no last one and Good. speaking of neuroscientists i think daniel levitin is also one this is a fun book it's called lying by sam harris mm. sam harris for those who don't know is like a well-beloved neuroscientist like our generation's oliver Sacks. you know mm. uh He's a great writer, and he's super smart, and this book is about the power of telling lies. Whoa. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Sam Harris also has a pretty badass podcast, by the way. It's called Waking Up. Yeah, shout out to Waking Up. We see you guys. Anyway, <laughs> so about this book, Lying, in the same way that you'd be surprised how powerful it is to reconsider how you listen and speak, like you were saying about the Julian Treasure conversation, um, you'd be surprised how powerful it is to not lie. That's kind of what the book is about. <laughs> That seems kind of obvious, but okay. Yeah. Awesome. That's a great list, Ben. So we'll put that up in the show notes on the Blinkist magazine so everyone can read through it. And we might as well remind everyone that all the past episode book lists are also online at Blinkist magazine. That's Blinkist.com slash magazine. Yeah. Books. Get them. All right. Then um, let's just jump into saying thanks for the people who made this podcast. Hooray! Thanks, everybody, for listening this far. This episode is produced by Caitlin Schiller. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. Me, Ben schumann Solar, Nat Doroshkina, Ben Jackson, and Odie Constantino, whose real name is Otto. Mm, fun fact. Cool. Um, so if you enjoyed this episode or feel that you learned something interesting or cool, 
Could you do us a favor and share it? Podcasts are a conversation, and they're great conversation starters. So send this one to someone that you want to talk about listening or speaking with. Cool. And yeah, big shout out already to the people who've subscribed to us. We just got over 500,000 downloads. That's oh, pretty nice. Oh, yeah. And um, I mean, we didn't like really market it to 500,000 people. So there's some word of mouth going on. So thanks to the people who subscribed at Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, wherever you listen. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, give us some stars, give us some thumbs. Leave us a review. Haven't had new fun reviews in a while. Could yeah. you guys do G- that? Give us some new reviews. I mean, hate mail's fine too. I'd rather it not be that, but we're always interested in your feedback. Yeah, and it helps. So thanks. It does. All right, so we're also on Twitter. I'm at Caitlin Schiller, and you're? At Bisto, B-S-T-O. Great. Uh, cool. So Simplify is made by the same people who make Blinkist. Blinkist, if you don't already know about this, which you probably do by now, is a learning app that takes the insights from the world's leading nonfiction books and condenses them into 15-minute reads or listens. Yeah, and uh, if you want to try it out, check out the work that Caitlin and I do here at Blinkist. We made another voucher code for this episode, so you can get 14 days free of Blinkist if you go to Blinkist.com friends and type in the voucher code LISTEN. Cool. And one last thing. Thanks so much for sending in your voice memos about the answer to the question, what have you learned was much easier than you thought it was or simpler than you thought it was. If you haven't done it yet, please do. Record a voice memo and email it to me and Ben at podcast at Blinkist.com. It can just be, you know, 30 seconds. It can be as trivial as pickles. It can be as deep as, I don't know, happy. Yeah. How to be happy with your spouse, with your life, with yourself, with your body. You know, it can be what you want it to be. We just, we love to hear from you. So yeah, reach out. Cool. Um, All right, then we'll be back next week with uh, the sixth episode of the season of Simplify. In the meantime, be good. This is Ben. And And me. Hey, Caitlin. Bye. Hi, Ben. (laughs) Hi, Ben. Bye, Ben. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs)